Good morning, church family. Who would have thought that two years ago we would be back to online? We spent however many weeks online only and uh, kind of thought we were done with that. But here we are two years later, back to online only. So please be in prayer for one another. Um, I don't think anything's too serious. I think everyone who is, was sick is getting a little bit better. Some of us over the last couple of days have started feeling sick. But uh, please be praying for one another that we would be able to be back here next week. That's the plan. Uh, that we'll be here next week in this room together, worshiping our Savior. In the meantime, let me give you a little heads up of, of where we're at, where we're headed. Uh, this morning was supposed to be deacons. We we're going to have a conversation on 1 Timothy, 3, 1 Timothy 3, Acts chapter 6, and then that was going to lead us to a discussion group where we we're going to be able to ask questions about what deacons look like in our church and what role they're going to have and, and how this is going to play out a little bit and why we weren't going to vote or nominate or do any of those things for deacons just yet. Um, that wasn't going to be the conversation. So I don't want to do that message over just me and the camera and, and a computer. So I want to do that message with all of us here in the same room and with a discussion group to follow. So with that being said, we're just going to push it back one week. Lord willing, we'll be back here next week. And so we'll push that back one week. Uh, next week was supposed to be the start of Ephesians. We'll just push that back a week. Not a big deal. Everything will be good to go. Now, when I was thinking, like, here's one message, like, we're not going to start a new series over online, hopefully it's just one week, and so where do we go for one week, one sermon, not in a series, not into Ephesians and in wherever else we might end up this year, like, where do we go? And so God, I uh, just prayed, praying to God and, and seeking wisdom, and this passage came to mind, and, and so I really hope that this morning will be an encouragement. Like, it's, it's not an easy passage. Uh, we read the first verse. We're going to be in Jeremiah 17. When we read that chat, uh, first, first verse that we're going to look at, verse 5, we look at that verse, it's not going to sound super encouraging right from the get-go. But, but the goal is that, that it will be encouraging. The goal is that it would stir up our hearts uh, towards our Savior, towards our God, and that we would love Him more and more. So what I want to do is I want to read just four verses in Jeremiah 17. We're going to talk about more than those four, but we will at least want to start with these four. We'll spend most of our time in these four. And then I, I want to just kind of give an overview of where we're headed this morning in the book of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah 17, verse chapter 5 is where we're starting. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert and he will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony waste in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream. It will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green, and it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. This morning, what are we talking about? We're talking about trusting God. And so, so here's what's going to be the story. The story, the, the, the message this morning is going to be real simple. Like we are so tempted to trust other things, and we need to stop trusting them to trust God. But here's the hard part. The hard part is going to be actually to do it. Like it is going to take effort, it's going to take prayer, it's going to take accountability from other people for us to put our trust in God and stop trusting things that are not God. Okay, so I understand like this morning, I don't want to oversimplify anything. Like I don't want to make it sound too easy. It's going to be stop trusting this and, and start trusting God. But yet at the same time, we are constantly bombarded to trust something that is not God. 
Like in our context, and in, in, in 2022 America, like we're being tempted, we're being drawn by outside uh, workings to put our trust in certain things. In fact, actually to say the word trust already puts in your mind another word, trust the, a lot of us probably say science. If you haven't been around for a while, maybe you had a different word, but like trust the science. Like, and we're being taught and, and, and trying to be convinced that we should trust science. And I'm not saying we shouldn't trust science. I'm just saying we shouldn't put our trust in science over the trust that we would have in God. Right? But even before COVID, even before some sort of political unrest and everyone would put their trust in a certain presidential candidate or, or whoever, like even before all of that, like go back two years, we were being taught to trust plenty of things that weren't God. Right? We were being taught to trust stock markets. We were being told to trust our bank account. We were being told to trust a bigger house and a nicer car. We were being told all the time, every time we open up a social media app, to trust some sort of influencer. Trust them and their product and their way of life. And, and, and guess what you get? You get a better life. Like here's a better life. Just become more and more uh, YouTube famous. Just become more and more Instagram famous. So this idea of, of what are we putting our trust in? Is it just a COVID-related thing? It's not just a political unrest 2022, whatever we're in type of, 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 of message. Like this is a message that affects us every day of our life. Why? Because every day of our life, we are being drawn away, we are being tempted to put our faith, to put our trust in something other than God. That, that this thing will bring happiness, that this thing will bring contentment. If I finally get this, then I'll be happy. And that is constantly going to be drawing at our heart. That is constantly going to be pulling at our heart, at our mind. And what do we need to do? We, we, we want, hopefully this morning, to be able to reorient ourselves. No, I'm not going to trust in these things. I'm actually going to trust in the creator God of this universe. Like that's who I want to put my trust in. Okay, so so let's dive into this text. Look at what he says there in verse 5. Thus says the Lord, like, like just pause right there. Like, like there are times in scripture, like all of it's inspired. So, so I'm not saying some of these texts are not inspired, but what I am saying is that this text right here, it seems like Jeremiah is just writing down verbatim what God has told him. Like, here is the message from God to Jeremiah, to Israel. And we get to learn from this message today, and, and God has it for us today. So, so here's the Word of God. So pay attention. We'll come back to this idea of it being the Word of God. Uh, but it's the Word of God spoken to Jeremiah. And what does he say? He says, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind. Okay, let's just take that first word, that first word, cursed. There's this idea of a, it could be a curse that, that you would put on somebody. Or it could also have this idea of some theologians, commentators, guys, they're going to say things like, you are choosing to live under the curse. There's a curse of sin over all of creation. And what are you, putting, what are you choosing to put your trust in? You're choosing to put your trust in something that is already cursed. You're choosing to put your trust in something that is already under a curse, like it's already broken. It's already proven not to be trustworthy. And what do we do is we continue to put our trust in that thing over and over and over again. And so what does it say here? It says, cursed is the man who what? Who puts his trust in mankind. Like that idea of mankind could be all of humanity. It could be some sort of political entity. It could be uh, some sort of political party. It could be one politician. It could be an individual friend. It could be that influencer. It could even be your own thinking. Like, I'm going to put my trust in my own intellect. I'm going to put my trust in my own abilities. I'm going to put my trust in my own good looks. Like, whatever your thought is, like, here's this thing. Like, curse is the man who would do what? Who would put his trust in some level of humanity. 
who put his trust in some level of, of mankind invented thing. I mean, I, this is probably, what, a decade ago? I can remember that we were being told to put our trust in kale. Like, not a person named kale, like a legit plant that grew up out of the ground. And it was like, you're not feeling good? Eat more kale. You're going to die tomorrow? Eat more kale. It's going to save you. Like, you need to sleep better at night? Eat more kale. You need to save money? Kale's cheap. Eat more kale. Like, over and over again, it was like kale was the superfood, and kale was the only thing that could cure anything anymore, and everyone had to eat kale. And it was like, you got together, and you ate kale, and kale salads, and you somebody had some sort of crispy fried kale, and like, it was disgusting. But like, all it was was eat more kale, and what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to put our trust in kale. And we so easily do it. Right? We could probably step back and look over the last decade and we put our trust in some sort of diet. We put our trust in some sort of person. We put our trust in some sort of stock. We've put our trust in some sort of financial advisor. We put our trust in so many things. I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with those things. I'm just saying none of those things are worthy of our trust. And yet every time we would open up social media, every time we would watch a television program or listen to the radio or even have a conversation with somebody, we were being drawn and told to put our trust in something else. And so what does God say? He says you can put your trust in a lot of things, but where do you need to put it? You need to put it in God. And we're going to get there in just a second. But, but so often we don't. Right? So often we are so tempted to put our trust in something that is not God, something that's right in front of us. We can see it, we can taste it, we can feel it. And so, so because it's in front of us, we want to put our trust in it. And so that's the temptation. That's our natural bend. Like we are naturally not going to trust God. We are naturally going to find something else to trust. And so what does he say? We'll keep looking in verse 5. He says, Curse is man who trusts is, is mankind. And what does he do? He makes flesh his strength. Like, like this idea of strength is his arm. Like, like here's his plan for life. Here's his, 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 his strength. Here's his power for life. It's all based on what? On the flesh. It's all based on some human thought. It's all based on some single person. It's all based on some ideology that some man came up with. Like, whatever it is. But our, our temptation is, I'm going to put my trust in mankind. I'm going to put my trust in fleshly things, earthly things, things that I can see and touch. And so what is he saying? God's saying, don't do that. Like, like don't put your trust in that. There's something that's far better for you to put your trust in. Stop putting your trust in something that should never have your trust to begin with. That last phrase there in verse 5. So this, this, this man uh, is cursed. He puts his trust in mankind. His, his flesh is strength. He's looking for the wrong place for his strength. And then that last phrase, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. We as humans are really, really good at, at downplaying our sin. We're really good at pointing out someone else's sin. Maybe not to their face, maybe just behind their back, but we're really good at that. Like we can, we can call out people's pride, we can call out their arrogance, we can call out a lot of things about how they have fallen short. We can call out a lot of things about how they're wicked and evil. But what we're really bad at is calling out our own sin. What I'm really bad at is calling out my own sin. And so we can try to downplay it. We can try to excuse it. We can try to blame it away all we want. But when we get to the end of verse 5, this phrase, this is a hard phrase to, to, to swallow if we're going to just try and blame and downplay our sin. 
right? Because when we say, I might trust, I'm not trusting in God, I'm trusting in this person, or I'm trusting in my spouse to, to make my life better, I'm trusting in whoever, like, like it's easier to say, okay, I haven't put my trust in God, like that's my fault, my bad, I'll try and fix that. And yet, what does ver- the end of verse 5 tell us? It's not just that you messed up a little bit, what does it say? It says, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Like when I put my trust in something that's not God, what am I allowing my heart to do? I'm allowing my heart to drift further and further away from God. It's not just that it was a mess up. It's not just that it was some sort of law that I broke of, of, of God's law where it's a sin and transgression. Like, no, I'm allowing myself to go further and further away from the God of this universe. I'm allowing myself to fall more and more in love with things that aren't God. And so what does Jeremiah say? What is God saying? He's saying, don't do this. In Jeremiah chapter 2, you can jot this verse down if you write in your Bible or just taking notes. Jeremiah 2, verse 13. God speaking there says that his people has committed two evils. And the first one was they have forsaken God. And, and God would describe himself in that passage as a fountain of living water. And he says they forsook me, this fountain of living water. And what do they do? Is they dug out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. And so what's the picture here? The picture here is here's God who's, who's, who's displaying himself, who's, who's illustrating himself as this fountain of living water, which is clean, which is life-giving. It's, it's drinkable. It's, it tastes good. Like everything about it in, in a glass of water, like here it is, found in this fountain, in this, in this spring coming up out of the ground. And the people of God taste it, the people of God experience it, the people of God enjoy it, but at some level they decide to reject it and they go 20 feet away and they dig their own hole and they expect beautiful water to come out and it's broken and it's dirty and it's disgusting and it's not life-giving, it's actually life-destroying. And over and over again, we would read in the Old Testament that the people of God would forsake the living God, the, the fountain of living water. They would forsake Him so they could go dig out their own God. And yet we struggle with the same temptation. We struggle with the same issue right now every single day. We're being told that there's better gods to serve than the God of the Bible. We're told that there's better gods to follow than the God of the Bible. We're told that, that following God may not be worth it, but, but doing this thing, buying this stock, that'll be worth it. Following this person, that'll be worth it. Trusting your own heart, follow your own heart. How many times do we say that? Follow your heart. But you, you don't trust God, just, just trust your heart, and we'll see where that takes you later on in this passage. And so constantly we're being bombarded with this idea of, of trust something other than God. Go dig a different well, because that life-giving well isn't good enough for us for some reason. What's the result of someone who would put their trust in humanity? What's the result of someone who would put their trust in mankind and the flesh? Well, their heart is led away from God, but then look at verse 6. For he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. That word bush in the Hebrew, it's an interesting word. Your translation may have something different. It, it means bush. It means shrubbery. That's a word I probably haven't said that yet this year. Uh, it means small tree. So any of those things would, would be an accurate translation. But it also means, and I don't understand Hebrew well enough to tell you how this all works, but this word also means destitute, naked, or stripped. 
And so, so what's the picture? The picture is here's this scrawny little bush, this little shrubbery thing out in the middle of a desert that's barely surviving. And, and what's the picture? We look at the whole verse there, the whole, all of verse 6. The picture is what? It's alone. So in the desert, uh, no water, unable probably to survive, like just destitute, stripped, and naked. Like, that's the picture that what we're seeing here. So, so you want to put your trust in something other than God? Okay, your heart's being led away from Him. Like, it's a foolish thing to do. But, but what do we see happening here? We see the result. God's telling us the end of that road. You put your trust in something other than God, and the picture that He paints is a lonely bush in the middle of a desert. And, and what's crazy is that we keep striving after like Like somehow this bush is going to change. Somehow the desert around us is going to change. Somehow it's going to just start raining miraculously and we're going to experience a greater life. And yet we, we, that never happens. God tells us this is, this is the end of that road. The trusting in mankind over and over and over again and trusting in the next thing and the next gimmick and the next product over and over again is going to lead you here to this bush in a desert. It says there in that next phrase, he will not see when prosperity comes. That idea of good times, like there's no good times on the horizon. You could interpret it some way like that. Or you could say these people have no hope. Like you are miserable, you're alone, and you're in the wilderness. You're in the desert. You're in the dry season and you can't get out. They will live their life in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. Over and over again, we get this picture of alone. We get this picture of empty. Can you imagine the desert of just empty of anything? There's no water. There's no other trees. There's no animals. There's no vegetation. Like emptiness and loneliness. And history would tell us. Like like there are people that have lived before us that history could give us story after story of people that lived it up, followed their dream, put all their trust in something other than God, and, and, and walked away empty. And so not to name anybody that actually lived, we'll just name one of my favorite Christmas characters, Ebenezer Scrooge. Right in the beginning of the Christmas carol, what do we see? We see Scrooge with all the money he could ever want. Right? He's got more than enough money. In fact, his nephew would walk in and say, why are you miserable? Aren't you rich enough? And the answer to that question is no, he's not rich enough. The answer to that question is he will never be rich enough. If he continues to trust in money and think that money is what's going to bring satisfaction, think that's money that's going to bring joy and happiness, think it's money that's going to bring a life well lived, then there's never going to be enough money on planet Earth. He will always be miserable. That's the picture we see here in verse 6. You can trust in God or you can trust in something else. And, and here's where following something else is going to lead you. It's going to lead you down this road of, of years and years in the desert where you'll be surrounded by people and you always feel alone. There'll be life, there'll be parties, there'll be happiness all around you except not in you. Like that's the picture that, that God is painting for the people of Israel. That's the picture that God is painting for us even this morning. Look with me then at verse 7. The first word of verse 7 should stand out to you, right? Blessed. Like we just started verse 5 with the word curse. And like that's not a great way possibly to start a Sunday morning. I understand that. But here verse 7, like here's starting to have good news. Blessed is like the exact opposite of cursed. You're choosing to live, verse 5, your life. And you're choosing to trust in things that are broken and sinful and cursed. And yet God says here in verse 7, there's a better way to this. 
There's a better way of living your life than to live it under this curse. There's a way that you can live this life where you're blessed. You could say it this way. God created you and he created you specifically to live a certain way and to feel a certain way. And you can have that. It's not necessarily happy, happy all the time, but there's this idea of joy and contentment. There's this idea of peace. The Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, talks a lot about rest. Like you can have rest, not just physically, but in your soul. Like that's this idea of blessed. Like you get the life that God created for you to have. It's already, like verse 7 is already a hundred times better, a thousand times better than, than verse 5. And what does he say though? How do we get this blessed life? Verse 7, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. So you can put your trust in mankind and we know where that's going to end. God told us. Or you can put your trust in God and experience so this, this blessing on your life. This, this here's what you were created to do. Here's how you were created to live. Like this is the life that God created for you. And how do we get it? We get it by putting our trust in Him. It's so important that He even says it twice. Your translation may use the word confidence or something else the second time, but it's the same idea. It's not the same Hebrew word, but it's the same idea. Put your trust in God. And he says it again. Those who put their trust in God. I don't want this message to sound too simple. I don't want this message to sound easy. Right? Like, like there's this idea where, where sometimes uh, we, can, we, can, we just make the Christian life so easy. Like, like put, your, put your trust in God. The end. End the sermon. And yet it's, it's, it's impossible to do that at times. Like there's this struggle, there's this wrestling in our heart that we so much want to put our, our trust in something else. We so much want to put our confidence in something else. And so there's this struggle. And so while it may be simple, don't trust this, trust God instead, there's still the struggle, there's still the temptation, there's still the hardship to do it. Maybe I could illustrate it this way. I'm coaching a coach pitch team in Little League this year, so I have a kid who just turned five this past week, and I have a kid who will probably be seven, uh, some who are probably already seven, so five to seven-year-olds. Okay, Just Saturday morning, we're working on batting practice, and, and this kid, I can tell he's nervous, like he's, he's got to hit the baseball, and everyone's looking at him and all these things, and I walked up to him, I said, hey, bud, it's real easy. Just hit the ball. Right, like, like we're worried about where to put your elbow and, and how to stand and where to look and how your feet go and do you step and do you not step. Like, like we're worried about all these other things and all these parents are trying to, and it's like, but it's real easy. Just hit the ball. Like super simple concept, like baseball, not hard. Hit the ball. And yet for a five-year-old to, to hit a ball that's pitched to them while everyone else is watching, simple, not easy. Right, this message is simple. Don't put your trust in something other than God. Don't put your trust in that influencer. Don't put your trust in that politician. Put your trust in God. Simple, but not easy. In fact, it's, it's the Bible itself would say it's not easy. You don't have to turn there, but just jot down Psalm 42. In the midst of Psalm 42, the psalmist would ask himself, Oh, my soul, why are you so downcast? Why are you so beat up? Why are you, why are you so depressed? Why are you, why are you looking so much like Jeremiah 17, 5 and 6? And he knows the answer. He knows how to correct his downcast soul. He tells himself, put your hope in God. And he would say it over and over again. And it's almost as if he would be screaming to himself, commanding himself, put your hope in God. Stop hoping in something else. 
Stop trusting in something else. Put your trust in God. And we get to experience in Psalm 42 the wrestling of the psalmist as his brain knows the correct answer, but he can't get his heart to do it. And so for some of us this morning, like I, I understand. I don't want to downplay the struggle that you're in right now and able to trust God. I don't want to make it sound too easy. I don't want to make it sound like, like it's just a quick fix. Like you just, just do this right now in your life. Like it is a struggle. And even the word of God tells us it's a struggle. But there's hope. Right? There's hope and it's worth it. It's worth it to struggle. It's worth it to put your hope in God. It's worth it to trust God and stop trusting those other things. God gave us a picture in verse 6 of what it looks like for, for someone to put their trust in mankind. He's going to give us a picture in verse 8 of what it looks like for someone to put their trust in God. Let's read verse 8. For he will be like a tree. Just We won't read all of verse 8. Like What a difference already. You have a, a, a Hebrew word that means stripped, naked, destitute that somehow is also related to some sort of bush. Right? Like, you can be that thing. Or you can be this tree, this beautiful tree. In my yard, I got a couple bushes that we planted last year. Man, they are struggling. Uh, my two-year-old probably could go over and pick them up and pull them out. Right? But we also got an oak tree that's been there for, for decades. Right? My, my, my two-year-old's not pulling that one out. My two-year-old's not moving that. I'm not moving that. My, my vehicle's not moving that. Like, like, I would need proper equipment to get this thing to move. Like, that's the picture here. You could, you could have this life that's characterized by a bush that also means to be destitute. Or you can have this life that of a tree, of a beautiful, large tree. And what did we learn about this tree? This tree is planted by the water that, that extends its roots by a stream. What's the picture? The picture is verse 6. You're in the desert. There is no water. Now in verse 8, you're a tree and you're planted right next to the water. This life-giving source, this water, is, is easy access for this tree. There's an abundant life. There's growth that's taking place. We're going to see that in a little bit as well. But like, like this is the result of somebody who puts their hope in God. You put your trust in God, and here's the result. You're, you're, you're more like a tree and less like a bush. You're not stuck in the desert. You're actually planted by a stream. This, this water source that is next to you. Look at what else God says there in verse 8. This person who trusts in God, they will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green. It will not, this tree, this person, will not be anxious in a year of drought. Like what is the picture? If your hope is in God, what is the result? The result is that we will not fear, we will not be anxious. For some of us, there is fear and there is anxiety. And it might be related to something in 2022 or it might just be related to everyday life. If this breaks, I don't have money to fix it. And so what does that do? It causes anxiety to stir up on our soul. If, if my kid turns out and, and, and it ends up like this, or if my kid says this, or if my kid gets caught in some sort of sin, like I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle that. And so fear and anxiety stir up in our heart. But what is God saying here? He's saying those who put their trust in God, those who would trust Him, like He's not saying that hard times don't come. Right? He doesn't say that. He says, here's the heat and here's the drought. Like those times will still come, even if you put your trust in God, but you don't have to fear those times. You don't have to have anxiety of what might come, if a drought might come. Why? Because you know the God who knows what's coming. You know the God who knows the unknowns. 
So while we might have some uncertainty of what the future holds, we know that there is a God who knows the future. And so I'm going to trust him. I'm not going to trust me. I'm not going to trust some guy who, who's on TV. He doesn't know the future. I'm not going to trust some vegetable that grows out of the dirt. They, that definitely doesn't know the future. But here's a guy who does know the future. Not only does he know the future, he knows what's best for me right now in the season of drought. For some of you, you are in a season of drought. And, and the best person, the best thing to put your trust in is God himself. He's the one that created you. He knows more about the drought that you're in than you do. So what do we need to do? We need to put our trust in Him. So, so if we put our trust in God, what is a result? A result of that is less fear and less anxiety. But this verse also gives us a couple other results. In verse 8, it talks about this tree, this person. Its leaves will be green. That last phrase, nor cease to yield fruit. If your trust, if your confidence, if your hope is in the God of this universe, the God of the Bible, what does God say about that? God says that you will continue to produce fruit. That, that you will be, uh, think about the picture of agriculture, uh, farming, which most of us probably aren't part of, but like a healthy plant produces more plants. A healthy tree would produce more trees. A, a, a healthy apple tree would produce apples. If, if it never produced apples, we would say there's something wrong with that tree. And so what is the picture here? That in the good times and in the bad times, this tree is, is still healthy. This tree is still able to produce fruit. It's still able to do what it was intended to do. And so for us as believers, we get to take a step back. Is, is my life characterized by fear and anxiety? then, then what's, what is that showing me? It's showing me that, that I'm not putting my trust in God. And again, that's a simple statement. It's not easy to do, and I understand that. But it's revealing to us that our trust is in something other than God. Are we producing fruit in good times and bad, or are we only producing fruit in the good times? Right? If we're only producing fruit when everything goes my way, traffic, man, that was a breeze this morning. Kids, they all ate their breakfast. They all did their homework. They all got off to school. Like, that was a breeze this morning. Like, stock market went up today. That was a breeze. Like, like oh, I got a bonus today. That was a breeze. Like, like if that's the only time that we are, we're, we're happy, if that's the only time we have joy, if that's the only time that we have peace and contentment and rest in our souls, then, then we're not trusting in the God of this universe. If we can't have rest in our souls when everything's going south, when, it, when we're in a season of drought, then we're trusting in the wrong thing. We have put our trust in something other than God. We're going to kind of walk through the next uh, five or so verses. We're not going to necessarily spend a lot of time on them. But look at what God says in verse 9. This is probably the verse that most of us think of when we think of Jeremiah 17. God speaking says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Okay, what's the picture here? The picture is this. You are so tempted to trust what? To trust your own heart. Right? Follow your heart. We'll say that all the time. We'll we'll encourage people to, to just follow your heart on that. And yet, what does God say about the heart? He says, no, 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 this is deceitful. It's, it's desperately sick. That Hebrew word that we translate desperately sick actually means incurable. Like, you can't cure your sick heart. You can't cure your deceitful heart. We talked about this already. We so easily are deceived by our own sin. We want to downplay it. We want to excuse it. We want to blame it. We want to think God doesn't hate my sin. He might hate their sin, but he doesn't hate my sin. Like, our hearts can so easily deceive us. 
And so what is God saying? He's saying, don't put your trust in your own heart. Don't put your trust in your own ability. Don't put your, uh, your trust in your own intellect. Like that's not worthy of your trust. So then he asks that question at the end of verse 9. Who can understand it? Like who can understand the heart? And then look at verse 10. I, the Lord. Who understands your heart more than you do? It is God himself. So again, what's the picture? The picture is that we would stop putting our trust in us. The picture is that that we would no longer trust my abilities and and my heart and my desires and my dreams and goals. And stop trusting in those things and start trusting in the one who actually knows you. Start trusting in the one who actually knows your heart. God says there in verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Again, what is the picture? The picture is our heart is not worth trusting, but God is. God is worthy of our trust. He's he's worthy of us giving our lives to him. So that in seasons of drought and seasons of heat, we may still produce fruit. So that our life will have purpose. Let's keep reading verse 11. We're not going to read all of verse 11, but there's this picture of a, of a bird and its egg. But it talks about this halfway through the verse. It says, He who makes a fortune but unjustly, in the midst of the days it will forsake him, and, and in the end he will be a fool. What's the picture? The picture is we are so tempted to put our faith in, in finances. We're so tempted to put our faith in a bank account. We're so tempted to put our faith in some sort of job. We're so tempted to climb the corporate ladder and whether we do it uh, right or wrong, whether we're moral or immoral, whether we, whatever it is, but as long as we get to this amount of money a year, as long as we get to this promotion, as long as we get there, then, then financially we'll be set and life will be fine and everything will be perfect. And yet God would say about that person, and again, I'm not saying money's wrong. I'm not saying uh, getting a promotion is wrong. I'm saying when we put all our trust in that and, and we do it here in this verse, as he says unjustly, what does God say about this person who put all his trust into money and to get it no matter how it happened, he just wanted more and more of it. What does God say? He says at the end, he will be a fool. Like, yeah, so we, what do we do? We get this picture. We get this picture of, of a God who says, put your trust in me, and you're like a tree. There's life. There's, there's water. There's this abundance of water. There's abundance of life coming to you, or there's a desert. You can put your, your, your faith in me and have, have a blessed life, or you can put your faith in something else. In this case, in this verse, in this specific context, context you put your faith in some sort of money and financial gain, and you end your life as a fool. So what is he saying? He's saying, stop putting your trust in that. Stop putting your hope in that. Stop, stop basing your life on just getting more and more and start basing it on the Word of God, of God Himself. Look at verse 12. A glorious throne on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. What is God saying? He's saying, like, 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 who are we putting our trust in? We're putting our trust in the God of this universe who sits on a glorious throne. Like, like, like the one that we put our trust in, he's not just some, some human who's going to end up dying. He's not just somebody who was born uh, a couple years ago and going to grow up and die. Like, like, look at what the verse says. It says it's a glorious throne. He's a glorious king who sits on that glorious throne. And this throne and this king is from the beginning. He is the eternal one. The everlasting one. And so again, what is the picture that, that God is saying here to Jeremiah? The picture is that God alone is worthy of our trust. No one else is eternal. No one else sits on this glorious throne. No one else is worthy of our trust. Like how foolish for us to say a decade ago that kale will fix all your problems. 
How foolish for us even right now to say, man, if the stock market could just turn around, it'd solve all my problems. Like, like I I don't need the God of the universe who sits on a glorious throne who's eternal. I just need this one stock to go up. Like how foolish for us to say, I don't, I don't need this God of, of living water. I just, I just need to lose a couple pounds so I can fit back into those jeans again. I don't need God. I need a bigger house. I don't, I don't need this fountain of living water. I need a better car. And over and over again, we sell ourselves short and we put our trust in something that never deserved our trust in the first place. Like how foolish. When we see God for who He is, sitting on a glorious throne from the beginning, the eternal God, like He knows the future, He knows the past, He's, he's there, He's present right now in our lives. Like, like this is a God that is worth trusting. Like how foolish would we, are we to put our trust in anything else? It's almost as God is saying, why would you put your trust in anything else? Verse 13, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away on earth will be written down because they have forsaken the fountain of living water, even the Lord. Again, we get a picture of what it looks like uh, if we go down this road. We want to forsake God, go all the way back to verse 5. We want, we're just going to continue to allow our hearts to be turned away from God. What's the result? The result is that all who forsake God will be put to shame. That person on social media, that person on TV that wants to sell you some product, that wants to say your life will be complete if you just have this thing. Like, like everything else in your life will be better if you drink this drink, if you wear these clothes. Like what is the picture here? The picture is that person is what? One day will be put to shame. Your product, your YouTube channel, your whatever is not worthy of our trust. Because if, if you're promoting a life uh, where we would trust something other than God, then one day that person will be put to shame by God himself. Like We should put our trust in God. Last verse, and we'll be done this morning. Verse 14. Heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved. For you are my praise. Go back to Verse 9, what do we say about our heart? We said that that, that phrase, desperately sick, sick, some of your translations may say desperately wicked. Like that Hebrew word actually means incurable. And what is Jeremiah saying here back to God in verse 14? He's saying, God, if you heal me though, I will be healed. Nothing else can heal this, this deceived, uh, corrupt heart. Nothing else can save and heal my, my sinful heart. But you, God alone, you're the only one who can heal. God, you're the only one who can save. And that doesn't mean that, that life becomes easy. No, it actually probably in some ways becomes harder. Because now we struggle and now we have to fight sin. We don't just give in to it all the time. But what is Jeremiah saying here in verse 14? He's saying there's only one person that can heal. There's only one person that can save. And that is God alone. The one who sits on the glorious throne. The one who's from the beginning, who's eternal. Why in the world would we look anywhere else to put our trust? 
Why in the world would we, would we think that this person or this idea or that concept or, or this product would be life-changing when we have the God of the Bible who's the only one who can heal, who's the only one that can satisfy, who's the only one that can, that can bring contentment and rest into my soul. Like, put your trust in God. We see here the last phrase of verse 14. For you are my praise. If our hope, if our trust is in God and, and God alone, what are we going to see? We're going to see less fear. We're going to see less anxiety. We're going to see fruit, even in seasons of drought. I also think here in the end of verse 14, we're going to live a life that is praise. Praise to God. Like, like we're going to continually want to talk about how good our God is and what He's done in my life and what He saved us from and what He saved us to. And so, so over and over again, what do we want? We want to talk more and more about Him. And so if we don't talk much about our Savior, if we don't talk about what God has done, if we don't always seem to have praise for God and how good He is, I wonder if it's just revealing the fact that maybe we're not trusting in Him like we should. This passage reminds us that everything other than God that we put our trust in will ultimately fail. The job, the work, the science, the the politician, having kids good at baseball. Like whatever we're tempted to put our trust in will ultimately fail. And so the, the reminder this morning and hopefully the encouragement this morning is what? Is that we would put our trust in the only person that ever deserved our trust. That we would recognize the fact that the, this fear and this anxiety that I'm experiencing, this dryness and loneliness that I've been experiencing, the, the, the following after the, everything the world wants to offer me, that everything the world's promising will bring rest and contentment for my soul. Like none of those things seem to work. And it's because my eyes have been taken off of my Savior. My heart has been drawn away from the God of this universe. And so may God use His Word and may His Spirit uh, work in us this morning to draw us back to Him. May we love God. May we love His Word. And may we put our trust in Him. And may we stop trusting things that will never bring satisfaction, that will never bring contentment, that will never bring rest for our weary souls. Let's pray. God, I thank You that You speak. I thank You that You speak to us. I thank You that You speak to us through Your Word. I thank You that Your Spirit is at work even right now in our hearts. God, I pray that you would reveal to us where our trust is. God, it's so easy to think if if this were to happen, then everything would be perfect and great. And whether it happens or whether it doesn't happen, we find out uh, in, in a few days, a few weeks, maybe years, but we find out at some point that it never really brought rest, it never really brought satisfaction. God, you are the only one that we should put our trust in. And so I pray that your spirit would reveal in us what we are trusting in. God, I pray that even in a small group, that we would have the sort of relationships where we can call out a brother or a sister in the Lord and say, here's what I think you're trusting in. I don't think it's God. I think it's, I think it's this, and I just want to warn you. I just want to come alongside of him and help you. Put your trust in God. Help us to do that. God, I pray for those of us who are, who are sick, those of us uh, hopefully recovering and getting better. God, I pray that you would bring healing. 
God, I pray that you would bring us all back here together next week, that we might sing together as a church, that we might interact with your word together, that we might uh, be here to fellowship and encourage and, and be a part of what's going on. So God, bring us back here next week. God, we pray that you would further your kingdom here in Sarasota and use us to be part of that. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, church family, uh, looking forward to next week, hopefully, Lord willing, next week, back here at 10 o'clock, uh, 10.15 for some of you. But uh, we'd love to, love to see everybody praying for you throughout the week. And um, yeah, see you next Sunday.